Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today I'm delighted to be welcoming John Fryer. He is the Chief Revenue Officer for Lumeris, or Lumeris, I think, as they say in the United States. But uh, everybody that knows me says I mispronounce all the words. So I'm just going to say I mispronounce that one as well. John, thanks for joining me. It's great to be here today, Dr. Nick. So if you would, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you arrived at this point uh, in your career and, you know, some of the highlights that contributed to this uh, uh, point in terms of the innovation and some of the things that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, I've had a really interesting journey uh, and landed into he healthcare really uh, by good fortune. Um, so intended to come out of uh, undergraduate education and enter the finance world and was fortunate to uh, meet a great innovator uh, in the healthcare space and Neil Patterson. And he encouraged me to really think about the impact that I could have uh, and the impact of change within healthcare. And so I, I ended up landing um, at Cerner Corporation, now Oracle Health, um, spent a couple of years there and then and went back into more of the finance side uh, of the healthcare landscape uh, and joined a consulting firm and spent a number of years working with uh, health systems and provider organizations across the country and really paying attention to the changes in technology, the changes in digital and the landscape. And as larger new entrants continued to, to seek to work with these entrenched kind of stakeholders, I really made it my practice to figure out how um, these participants in the market could work with large technology companies uh, to accelerate their adoption of, of technology. And really that's Kind of where I found value-based care. And as the payment models continued to evolve uh, coming out of CMS in particular in the Medicare population, and we've all heard for a number of years how the Medicare trust fund is running out of money and we've got to come up with a new model uh, to be able to create sustainable healthcare. And that's really where I found uh, my niche in, in the healthcare space in combining this transformation around technology and digital with these value-based payment models and value-based care models. And uh, the rest is kind of history. Been with Lumeris uh, for the last six and a half years now. It's been a really exciting uh, journey with our partners um, and looking forward to seeing where the value-based care market is going kind of moving forward. So I, I, before we jump into that, I think, uh, you know, important to highlight uh, what I would call a critical sort of inflection point. And, you know, most people that have uh, met Neil Patterson know what a, um, you know, influential and passionate uh, individual he was. He, he brought a tremendous amount to uh, healthcare. It's a great loss uh, to our community and I think to the organization especially. Um, I, I'm curious to know, did you arrive before or after the pizza, the famous pizza memo? <laughs> I was there during the, uh, the no kidding. Memo, Somebody that was uh, actually, days, there. but, but, uh, I was actually at the office. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you had already ordered pizza. Good. Well, uh, so those of you that don't know, it was a very famous instance. And, you know, all due respect to Neil, he was passionate about it. I think it was, uh, I, I think he even self-reflected at one point. It wasn't possibly the best handling of it. But anybody that knows him knows, you know, his contribution was uh, enormous. And I'm, I'm delighted to hear you sort of referencing that, um, you know, especially as he's, he's left us to... Uh, 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 to to you know try and continue some of the work that uh, he he clearly started. Um, so you know lots of interesting background in uh, what you did. Um, you know I think you highlighted some of the the key issues that we keep hearing. Um, you know we're running out of money. Uh, I, I've been looking at this sort of percentage of what uh, healthcare uh, consumes of uh, the GDP. I think it continues to fascinate me that we say, oh, you know, it's uh, it can't get any higher and it continues to get higher. I don't know at what point that really becomes true, um, but it already feels like it's true. And, you know, we, we are running out of money. I think anybody that's looking at, you know, some of the future is going, how is that going to survive? We look at other countries and they're not really I don't think there's any model that I go, wow, that really works. And I've I've seen and worked in a number of them. I think it's, um, you know, it, it's a real challenge. And I, like you, looked at value-based care. It seemed like it was a, a, a good model. Um, that's clearly what you're doing. Tell us a little bit about the work, because this is not, you know, it sounded like you just arrived here, but I think that's not the case. You've been at this for a while. Tell us a little bit about what's going on at... Uh, uh, Lumeris, sorry, it's very hard for me to mispronounce these words. I'll do my best. No, absolutely. I think, you know, you really raised some, some good key points. I think it's really hard for any stakeholder in our healthcare kind of delivery system um, set of stakeholders to argue that value-based care isn't the right model, the right theory, the right premise. Better patient, better patient care, more aligned around the outcome of an individual patient, more focused on keeping people healthy and trying to find a business model to enable that. And most would agree that all sounds like uh, a great utopia to be able to operate in an environment where all the stakeholders are aligned and achieving better, better healthcare for all. I think the reality is, is that the, the work to accomplish that requires aligning stakeholders whose interests today are not on the same page. And the entrenched business models of the past have created a system of care uh, that currently isn't organized to be able to execute and deliver this population health model. And so the work that's being done today and really where Lumeris has committed um, in the marketplace is moving as many lives as possible into value-based care. And that means moving many big, large, entrenched stakeholders towards this more integrated model where the payers and the providers and the patient are engaged in actually operating in a model together to achieve these improved financial outcomes, but also improved quality outcomes. And uh, it's never a dull moment. Uh, there is never a day without challenge and pain, um, but the end point is getting and reaching a number of lives into that utopia model where everyone's aligned around, you know, high quality care for all. So let's go back to one of the points that you made, because I, I, I agree with you, yet there's so many that 
I, I must not. Um, and that's the only explanation that I, I can come up with. We look at this and we go, this is the best model. This makes sense. It, it aligns all of those things. It brings people together. Yet here we are. I don't know how many years we've been at this. Value-based care, that is. Uh, I know how many years we've been at healthcare, but value-based care uh, in its current form, certainly a lot of time, and yet it remains stubbornly low, in my opinion, or at least in my understanding, on an adoption standpoint. Why is that? What is going on and how do we reverse that? Yeah, I think the uh, the really biggest challenge into driving the accelerated adoption of value-based care is you've got really entrenched stakeholders and lobbies on both sides of the equation. And those forceful powers um, in the regulatory and policy world in Washington, D.C., uh, have really failed to come together to collectively agree on what that model is. And so we've nibbled around the edges and we found opportunities to innovate and we found unique ways to align local markets, but there hasn't been a big push from a regulatory and a policy perspective, albeit CMS has stated that by 2030, every Medicare uh, and largely every Medicare patient will be in a value-based model of care, which is a good starting point to move the market um, but it really is about alignment and it really is about entrenched stakeholders and it really is about money at the end of the day and the the haves and the have nots and we're seeing that play out uh, very publicly in the in the press today between the dynamics of you know the health systems and the provider community saying they're really struggling uh, to have a sustainable business model and you're seeing large commercial carriers continue to report billion dollar profits um, with their business model. And the two sides are really at odds. Um, and until we can and drive alignment, which from a Lumera standpoint, we're focused on doing at a more local level, pick an individual market with an individual delivery system or provider network and find the right payer partners that are interested in enabling value-based care. And we'll get to work. But from a macro perspective as to how do we see broader adoption and not just certain markets moving faster than others, I think it is going to require a push from either an industry group, and that could be an employer group, um, or it could be the government through CMS and CMMI. Yeah, I, I, I've got to say I'm, I, I concur. I like to disagree with people because it makes for a more interesting conversation. But I mean, I do. I think, um, you know, fundamentally agree that it's this business lobby that essentially refuses to shift off this. I, I'm going to say massive pile of cash. I have no other visual than, you know, um, Donald Duck Scrooge or whatever in his uh, a vault with piles of gold going, no, no, I'm not giving any of this up. And I know that sounds a little bit um, uh, over the top, but, you know, ultimately you, you sort of described a little bit of that. But you bring up a really interesting sort of um, potential group that has a large voting block, and that's the employers, right? They have the capacity, if they could get involved, I mean, it seems like they've 
just disconnected from this and, and accepted this continued sort of increase and yes, this is where we're going, but it shouldn't, it should never have been. But do you think that's perhaps one of the pathways to really disrupting this space? I think it potentially is the fastest way to seeing disruption, but I think we've continued to hear that once the employers band together and really push back to say, I am no longer accepting, uh, you know, 8%, 12% increases in my premiums year over year over year, I think the challenge is it's a, it's a rather unconsolidated lobby. Mm. Uh, small group employers represent, you know, a ton of the business community in the United States, and they haven't really banded together to have a perspective. Now, some of the larger employers certainly are, and they are becoming more loud in Washington, D.C., and many have tried to take new approaches to essentially cutting out those entrenched stakeholders who aren't willing to think differently. But the reality of what I see on the ground today is, by and large, employers still don't want to restrict the options that their employees have. So they want to have everybody that provides care in their market in their network. And um, until there's a, a bigger shift around kind of our expectations as individual consumers, it becomes really hard to see, you know, what is that solution that isn't just nibbling around the edges, whether it's um, bundles and, and, you know, folks sending all their cardiac cases to the Cleveland Clinic uh, or, you know, the Mayo Clinic, um, or MD Anderson for cancer care, there are, you know, and there is an accelerating adoption of those types of uh, destination models for sure. Um, but the broader change is really also going to require us as individual consumers to think differently about what we want and what is acceptable to us. Because the employers at the end of the day want to have benefits that are competitive to attract and retain the best employees. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to John Fryer. He is the chief revenue officer at Lumeris. Uh, we were just talking about the challenge of getting value-based care adopted and you know the various blocks that, that are interested. I think you highlight um, you know, employers um, and then pushed over to employees and you know if you thought employers were disorganized and couldn't get together the idea that the employees you know that's even a bigger challenge um but you're right i mean that's a huge voting block um but you know let's talk about the other side which is where you're sort of focused on which is actually the delivery and you know to be clear i think one of the things that you will find universally um, in physician, maybe not universally, I'm sure there are folks that see this um, perhaps in the specialist areas where they say, you know, I, I, I should be in a different bucket. But ultimately, you went into medicine to deliver, you know, excellent care. I think everybody, most people go in with that intent, but you get stimmied because of the system. I, I think that's truly the challenge that we face within whatever the system is. And that's especially true at the small practices. And let's be frank, if you've ever interacted with a really good small practice, you know the value of that, but they struggle because they've got very little support. So tell us what you're doing to help solve that and really deliver against that. Yeah, I really like this question, Dr. Nick. So 
you know, Lumeris was originally established by uh, an independent group of physicians in the St. Louis market, and they had become frustrated really with the entire scope of healthcare, just like you outlined, stymied by the status quo and the stakeholders that they had to deal with. They saw it as heavily bureaucratic and intrusive to the actual practice of medicine, the actual ability to care for the patients that they served. And as Lumeris, you know, started to flourish and mature, um, we really realized that we had to get back to building this transformation from the ground up. And that's really why we launched our Tribus capability, which I'm fortunate to serve um, as the president of. And it really resembled the mindset of our original independent founders, um, which tries to capitalize on all the learnings that they had and we've had as Lumeris over the last 10 years for a more localized application to those independent practices so that they can get back to why they went into medicine, which was really to spend the time with their patients. Um, and today you hear the stories of, I, I see 30 patients a day, I have four minutes with each, I'm running between, I'm eating my lunch in the hallway uh, between my one o'clock and my 1.15 um, appointment. And we've really kind of broken that model of, of especially primary care and internal medicine that drives a lot of, of our ability to keep people healthy, which ultimately is the goal of value-based care is to keep them from needing uh, acute delivery services. Yeah. So I, I, critical in that, I think, is the fact that it was created by a group of physicians. Um, you know, obviously, I'll declare my bias in the, uh, at the outset. Uh, as a physician, I feel that's like an essential component. Um, I, I think it can be clinicians in general. I think people that actually lay hands on patients, deliver care. And to be clear, you know, I think this is important to understand. That's not just clinicians in many instances. I mean, the folks that walk into rooms and interact, and that's, you know, even cleaning down to the levels of cleaning stuff, there's, you know, all of these folks that really deliver care, have those folks involved and suddenly you change the sort of whole perspective. I think this disconnect is really sort of fundamental. So you've set up this uh, concept and, you know, you talk about this, but I got to be honest, everybody talks about AI. What are you doing and where's the where's the contribution of this? Because I'm excited about it, but I'm also a little bit, you know, suspicious when people say it because I hear everybody go AI and they're going, well, oh, you know, and you really. So what are you doing with AI and what's the contribution there? Yeah, I, I think you couldn't have uh, hit it on the head better, Dr. Nick. Uh, AI is all of a sudden in every single company's investor calls and every single startup's pitch. Everybody is now an artificial intelligence company. And I think the reality and, and why that is the case is obviously it's a silver shiny object right now, but I do believe we are at a fundamental point of technology change early, very early in that um, and it is going to change a lot of what we do, um, but I think it's it's made the space very noisy. When we think about you know artificial intelligence and our technology tools, um, it is not something new. AI and, and rules-based algorithms and learning models have been around for a number of years. And what we're seeing with the accelerated adoption of these large language, mod language models and uh, the technology acceleration that has allowed some of this science and data to occur 
is it, it's really interesting to look at how that might change our healthcare world. How we're thinking about the, the impact of AI today is uh, really not much changed from you know two, three, four, five years ago. It's about how do we reduce the administrative burden that is placed on all in the healthcare ecosystem. And so when I think about these physicians that we just talked about and how they only have four minutes with their patients, the reason why they only have four minutes with their patients is we've forced upon them uh, through regulatory and policies and you know technology ad adoption to figure out how to use things that were designed not focused on patient care. And we've really got to use AI and how Lumeris is thinking about it and Tribus is thinking about it is how do we reduce the burden on the care team down from the front office staff all the way through the visit, um, but really focused on the back office at this point um, and the process and the clicks and the workflow and the documentation and coding that has to occur. Um, because what we believe a failed model for a future system is, is just asking our care teams to do more with less resources. And it seems like everything we do is just like, well, just do this now a little bit differently, fill this other form out now. And that's what's created this model that I really view as unsustainable. I really view it as unfulfilling uh, for future physicians. I, I don't um, you know, envy folks looking to go to medical school now and they talk to their, their uh, you know, mentors that are out in the field, like the administrative headache of healthcare today is is uh, a burden. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to concur again. Um, you know, the, the sad fact is, and it, it's not a scientific study, but I interact with a fair number of uh, my physician colleagues and any that have children. I, I have not heard a single one who has said to me, I am encouraging my children to go into the career. And I actually have a, a daughter who has followed my career um, almost directly. And I will tell you, she's bitterly, bitterly regretting that decision because of all of the things that you described. So we have a true crisis on our hands. I, I am just appalled at where we are, that she's feeling the same kind of, you know, awful pressures uh, of a system. So as we sort of close this out, tell us what you're doing, what you're hopeful for in the future and where you see all of this going. Yeah, I think it's uh, right now it's very easy to uh, accept the doom and gloom that's painted um, out there in in broader kind of media and the messaging and, and the broader kind of culture. Um, but I think what I'm excited by most is that there still are very passionate people looking to innovate, looking to drive change. And that may be folks that are looking to drive macro impact, but it's also folks that are looking to drive local impact in their community, in their practice. And uh, every day I feel like I'm fortunate that even after listening to 10 minutes about what isn't working in a clinic, it always ends with the optimism of what it could be and what it can be and how we can get there and how we could think differently. And, and um, you know, despite kind of the pessimism, um, and I think we do have to solve this, um, you know, bringing people back into medicine for the reasons that folks uh, originally went into it. That's a big problem we've got to solve to, for, for all of us. But I think what gets me most excited is there's still people that wake up every day saying we've got problems. 
and I'm not going to bury my head in the sand. I'm going to contribute to a solution, and I'm willing to continue to fight. Um, but it, it is becoming harder um, for many, and we've got to continue to enable uh, those voices to be heard um, and put them in places to drive impact. Um, and I think that's what makes me excited for the future is that there are still a lot of people waking up every day willing to try and tackle these existential problems. So I, I, you know, I concur with this sort of, you know, doom and gloom. I've, I've been heard to say that my glass is always full. It's, it's, but in my case, it's always half full of whiskey and half full of air. But, you know, everybody else can have the water. That's fine. Um, I, I'm with you 100%. I think we can find the positive in this. And, and it is especially challenging. I think my, my major concern is that we lose or, I'll, you know, have the potential to lose many um, you know, bright opportunities of, you know, both individuals and also ideas uh, in, in the, um, uh, you know, the, the challenges that we face going ahead. But I agree with you. I think it, it always comes back, you know, you just have to hear that one story. And, you know, even I on my personal journey have, you know, I, I focus on those positive instances where, you know, institutions that, truly brought me to the lowest point in my interactions with the healthcare system, still had individuals that I interacted with that I could not uh, talk about in a more positive fashion. And it's those individuals that we have to support with all of the things that we do. Unfortunately, as we do each and every uh, week, uh, we've run out of time. So it just remains for me to uh, thank you for joining us on the show. John, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Dr. Nick. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. <laughs> <laughs>